you have your Bibles, would you turn to Ephesians chapter 1 today? This is the first of a number of messages that uh, we will uh, be studying in the book of Ephesians. And in fact, we're going to be in Ephesians uh, well after Christmas. So we're looking at about three months that we'll be in this particular uh, important book of the New Testament. So hopefully you're turning to Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 1. As you're turning there, you know, Warren Wearsby in uh, his introduction to the book of Ephesians and his commentary tells the story of Hetty Green who passed away in the year 1916. Miss Green had an estate with an estimated value of over $100 million. That was in 1916. Imagine how rich she was. However, Hetty Green was a miser. She ate her oatmeal cold because it was too expensive to heat it. Her son lost a leg due to amputation, and this is a true story, because she waited too long to get him medical help. Why the delay? She was searching to find a free clinic to get medical assistance. Hetty Green was a millionaire, yet she chose to live as a pauper. And as Wearsby opens up his study in Ephesians, he notes that many Christians are just like Hetty Green. We have these vast resources of the grace of God, many of which we never tap into often by choice. And so we're going to begin today, and really in the first two weeks, we're going to see the blessings of the grace of God. And it's very interesting if you've read Paul in the Greek, and I know a handful here have done it, um, you know, John's gospel in the Greek is like see, spot, run. When Paul writes in his epistles, it's like a, a professor going in three different directions sometime. And believe it or not, verse 3 to verse uh, 12 of our text, that's nine verses, is just one sentence. And so as we look at this uh, today, uh, we're going to, this week and next week, as we uh, introduce this study in Ephesians, we're going to look at the grace of God and the wonderful, multiple blessings of a Christian experiencing the grace of God in his or her life. With that in mind, look with me at Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will, to the faithful saints in Christ Jesus at Ephesus, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he lavished on us in the beloved one. Let's pray. Fathers, we open your word today. We 
We thank you for your grace. And Father, in these weeks of study, we're going to, I pray, gain a greater appreciation for your grace and your favor. Lord, apart from your grace, we are nothing. Lord, I'm reminded even of the man who said, I believe, help thou my unbelief, that Lord, we don't even have the ability to believe as we should apart from your grace. We thank you, Lord, for your initiative in Paul's life and Lord, your initiative in our lives. So as we open the study of your word, just speak your truth in this hour. And Lord, not just that we would seek to understand it, but we would apply it to our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, as we look at Ephesians, Ephesians was written very close to the time that uh, the sister book, Colossians, was written. And, And it's very interesting. Both books can be divided into two parts. In fact, in Colossians, it's four chapters, and basically the, the first uh, two chapters deal with theology, deal with an understanding of who Christ is and an understanding of how that relates to us. And then the second division, chapters three and four, begin with this word, so, and it follows how we're to apply that truth. And we can follow really that same outline for Ephesians because there's six chapters in Ephesians, In the first three chapters, it speaks of God's grace. It speaks of the truth of uh, God's grace working in and through our lives. And then at that midpoint, chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Therefore, which simply is this, this is all the truth that you have who you are in Christ. Therefore, verses 4, 5, and 6 deal with this is how you practically apply it to your life. And so the book of Ephesians is a practical book. It has doctrine. It has teachings that are important for us to understand our relationship with God. But it is also a practical book of application. Just a little bit of uh, background here. Ephesians was written by Paul more than once. Paul's name is listed there. There's no debate. He describes himself as an apostle of God. This is recognized as one of uh, Paul's prison epistles, much like Philemon and Philippians and Colossians. Paul wrote this right around 60 or 61 AD while he was imprisoned in Rome. And so as we look at it also, uh, we understand how uh, people throughout Christian history have valued this book. In fact, Ephesians is known uh, by many scholars as the queen of the epistles. John Knox, when uh, he was on his deathbed, uh, requested that John Calvin's commentary on Ephesians be read to him. Martin Luther called Ephesians among the best and most noble books in the New Testament. In the aforementioned, John Calvin stated that Ephesians was his favorite book in the Bible. You know, as we look at Ephesians, And many people think that this letter was a circular letter. In other words, it wasn't just written to Ephesus. It wasn't just written to take to Ephesus, but it was to go through Ephesus to other cities in that particular area. We know that Ephesus was both a cultural and religious center in Acts chapter 19. We know that the uh, temple to Artemis, one of the seven ancient wonders of the world, was there. And so the church was started in Ephesus. Now, Paul didn't start the church of 
Ephesus. There's no reason for us to believe that. Many people think that it was started by Priscilla and Aquila, but Paul invested much time, in fact, spent close to three years in Ephesus. He labored hard, and he was so close to the people at Ephesus. He'd invested so much of his life in the people there that once when he was headed to Jerusalem, not knowing what lay ahead for him, he had them come down and travel south to Miletus because they wanted to see him. So as we have sort of had this brief introduction uh, to the book of Ephesians today, we're going to begin by looking at the first six verses, and we're going to begin really in two weeks at looking at the blessings of God's grace. And listen to me very clearly. The blessings of God's grace, the spiritual blessings, come specifically through Jesus Christ. It says, in him and through him. I pray today that you've come to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. If, if not, let me tell you this on the authority of God's word. If you've not done that, you're missing out on many, many blessings. It would be like the person who had the, uh, the, the, that smartphone and would be like me, ignorant of all the capabilities of it, not utilizing. If you've not come to know Christ, you have, you're, you're living physically now, but you're missing out on the blessings that Paul writes about here. So we're going to begin this study, and this morning we're going to look at these six verses to begin this uh, letter. And really the focus is grace. Grace, scripturally speaking, is God's unmerited favor. That means that there's nothing that we can do to gain God's favor. There's nothing that we can offer were we to try to do that, that would make God a debtor, and God is indebted to no one. Uh, you know, the, the good news, though, is God is a gracious God, and he delights in showing his favor to us. I like that acrostic that some of you may have heard, grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. That means that God has blessed us and bestowed upon us his favor, eternal life, and forgiveness through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. So uh, I, I uh, titled this morning's message, God's Glorious Grace, and I want to look at God's grace, and I want to note four things as we move through the study this morning. And first, I want you to see that Paul was a recipient of that grace. Paul himself had personally experienced it. Notice Paul opens the epistle with the words, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will. Now, now, to be an apostle was a distinguished position. Only a very few in the early church were given that title. But Paul was not always an apostle. In fact, he was, uh, in, in part of his life, earlier in his life, was not an apostle of the gospel but he was actually an enemy working against the gospel, working not for God, but against God. In fact, in Acts chapter 9, it tells us that once Paul was heading toward a city of Damascus, and his, upon his arrival, his desire was to basically turn Christians over to authorities to be charged with treason. But while he was on that road, the scripture tells us that a light came from heaven and then he experienced a vision. 
Now, there were others around him, and they knew something was going on, but they didn't receive the specific revelation that Paul received. And through that, Paul realized this, and it's important, that he was a sinner, that he was a sinner. As righteous as he thought he was, he was a sinner. And on that, Jesus spoke to him and said, Saul, Saul, at that time his name was Saul. Why are you persecuting me? And so through that event, God worked and revealed himself to Paul. God took the initiative, not Paul. God took the initiative. God even sent someone, Ananias, to explain the truth more clearly to him. And Paul went from being an enemy of the gospel, a frustrated individual working just to bring the demise of others. He was transformed into a follower of Christ and not just a follower of Christ, an apostle. And so he experienced the grace of God. In fact, he says elsewhere in some of his letters, he said, I'm the utmost of sinners, but God gave grace to him. You see, Paul can write about grace here because he was writing under the inspiration of God and he had experienced that grace. Uh, You know, the church uh, sent Karen and and me to Italy and I guarantee you the next few years you're going to hear illustrations. You're probably going to hear gelato more than you want, but I'm telling you, gelato was something. All right, I love the sights. They were something. Uh, We sit at home and Sebastian and Gabriella were so kind to give us this digital thing that processes the photos. And the the theme of that is Rome and our granddaughter. So I watch them through and sometimes I'll sit in the room and I'll look and I'll say, boy, I love that trip. Boy, isn't that pretty. Now, Karen loved the gelato. And I can say that because she she is very thin, but she ate a lot of gelato. But I'm telling you this. I'm telling you. Um, if you haven't had it, and I'm not talking about in the U.S., over there, you've not really had anything. I mean, it's hard to explain the texture of it. I love soft serve, and I love good hard ice cream. It's sort of between the two. Sometimes you get that soft serve, and it drips down. No, this stuff has enough texture to hold together, but yet it's very rich and very thick. Now, I could share with you, and some of you have had it, I can share, and Karen will say, hey, I know that, I've had it. But others, I can describe it, but you might not have experienced it. Paul is writing about grace as somebody who says, I've been there, I'm a sinner. I know what it is to to be an enemy against God. This is not something, theoretically, I'm telling you, he is speaking with passion because he had experienced the grace of God. I wonder today, have you experienced the grace of God? I'm not saying, have you read about it? Has someone described it? Have you experienced it? Paul could speak authoritatively because he had experienced the grace of God. He was a sinner by nature, but an apostle by the grace of God. But I want you to see not only uh, was Paul uh, a recipient of God's grace, but also he speaks about the preeminence or the priority of grace. Look at what he says in verse two. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I love how they did letters back then. Do you notice? You didn't have to browse all the way through the bottom of the letter to see who sent the letter. 
in, in that particular setting, you can go through the New Testament letters, and at the very beginning, the sender describes himself. I get an email sometimes, and I may have to scroll all the way to the end to find out who wrote it. But right at the beginning, Paul describes himself, and then he gives a greeting that he uses more than once. Now, I don't know about you, but um, um, our daughter loves receiving cards. Some people, you get cards, and you may not think much of it. You say, boy, that's a nice thought. You set it aside. Our, our daughter keeps every card she's ever received, so I'm very thoughtful when I send those cards. And sometimes we read through this letter, and we don't think, well, grace to you and peace. And I don't think it's too far of a stretch to say there was an intent in the order of this greeting. He says, grace to you and peace. In other words, grace comes first. There's no peace in a person's life until that one has experienced the grace of God. And so these next two weeks, as we finish this week and next week, we're going to look at the blessings of God's grace. But every single one of these doesn't come before grace. It follows grace. It ex it's, it's a result of God's grace. And so he calls the ones receiving the letter to the faithful saints. Now this means the believing believers. He wasn't distinguishing as saints were some set-apart way. He basically is saying to the believing believers, the believers who are in the practice of believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, many people try to esteem saints. You have patron saints that are uh, given the, a special name because of where they were born or some great accomplishment. The Bible doesn't teach that a saint is some special person unique from the rest of Christians. Basically, a saint is a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, someone who has been set aside, set apart to follow God. Each and every believer is a saint. And so he's writing to these saints, to these believers, and, and the order of it is grace as he greets them, grace and peace to you. And, and as I was reading about this intentional order, that song and the song we sing today I'll fit right in with it too. But I think of that song, Marvelous Grace of Our Loving Lord. Grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt. Yonder on Calvary's mount outpoured. There where the blood of the Lamb was spilt. Grace, grace. God's grace. Grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace. God's grace. Grace that is greater than all our sin. And so we see that priority of grace. But I want you to see, thirdly, the blessings and the purpose of God's grace. We see that in verses 3 through 5. You know, the, there are certain blessings in our life that are temporal in nature. Uh, for instance, maybe you had the blessing of having a friend or a neighbor who lived next to you for a significant amount of time, and then that person moved across the country. I think of our church. There are many people I've been blessed. Uh, I think of Andy McPherson. I think of uh, individuals like that 
who have come through our church. Chris Bell, his daughter, was here uh, a few weeks ago. Individuals who have come through our church for a season, and it was a blessing to be there. But we don't have the blessing of accessibility and seeing them each week. We have the blessings not only of relationships that are temporal. And, and again, if we're in Christ, we're going to be reunited. I'm not saying that, but you understand what I'm saying, that are always accessible. Um, material uh, blessings are not always accessible. In fact, uh, my paternal grandfather was left a, a, a pocket watch, and I can't find that thing anywhere. I think maybe I gave it to one of my sons, but I didn't want to say anything because they may think I'm wanting it back. I just don't know. Some material blessings, uh, they're temporal. We can't access them. You say, tell me, Pastor, look at my 401K. You know, it's, it's, it's dwindling. But Paul is writing here about spiritual blessings. He says in verse 3, Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. Now, the stock market can fluctuate. We can lose things. People we're close to and see all the time can move across the country and we'll say, hey, we're still close, but we don't have immediate access to them. But notice about the spiritual blessings. They're in the vault of heaven, cannot be removed, will not ever change. Your health, your physical health, it's a blessing, but it may go. Your money, the same thing, but spiritual blessings are in the heavens in Christ. They are kept. Your salvation it is kept in heaven, not to be lost or damaged. Your inheritance, we're going to see next week, as being an adopted child of God, is untouchable. It is kept in heaven. Your forgiveness that you have received, Christian, through the Lord Jesus Christ, same thing, eternal, kept in the vault of heaven. So where does all of this come? Well, I'm a good person. I help in this community group. Well, I'm a, I don't try to hurt anybody. That doesn't keep it. It's the grace of God through Jesus Christ. God's unmerited favor. Look at verse 4. For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love. We're chosen. Election. Election speaks to God taking the initiative while we're lost and without hope. Paul, he was an enemy of the gospel heading 100 miles an hour spiritually in the wrong direction. And who got his attention? Did he just wake up? No, God got his attention. Abraham, he was in a pagan family in a pagan land with no thought of God. And did Abraham just say one day, I think I'm going to believe in God. No, he didn't. God's spirit, God's presence brought attention to the fact that God was going to call him out of a pagan land into a new place. And we're going to look at Abraham in a moment. You know, a lot of Christians struggle with the concept of election. And I thought about that. The problem we have is not with the elect, but the non-elect, if we're going to be honest. But the fact of the matter is the scripture uses the word election. And the fact of the matter is every one of us 
outside of Christ, we're dead in our sin. There's nothing we can do. We're spiritually dead. We're totally dependent upon the grace of God. Now, as a preacher, I study it, but I don't understand it all. I just do what God calls me to do. You know, um, Mike and Terry were good friends with uh, Wayne and Patricia. And, you know, whenever we do those fellowships, I missed, missed both of them. But I used to love hanging around uh, Wayne when we would do fellowships. And one thing about it, when Wayne Lewis did something, he was going to do it his way, and it was always the right way, in my opinion. And so when he would uh, fix the roles or whatever, I can remember teenage girls like these who were lined up, he would teach them how to bake rolls, and you did it Wayne Lewis's way. And I'm sure somewhere in the process, the girls were saying, I don't understand this, why do you do it? And Wayne is thinking, I've done this many, many times. The end result is going to be what it is. Listen, we're like the kids. We're not to question the sovereignty of God. Let God be God. Just do what God has called you to do. And God has called us to be witnesses, to be witnesses to Christ. Election is addressed in the Bible more than, than we may know. I, I was laughing uh, yesterday. I knew it would be a busy day, and so I decided I was going to try to be at Walmart by, uh, by 7.15 because I didn't want to get into the crazy. And, and if, if you got to shop at Walmart, go about 7 in the morning. That's a great time. And when I was there, I was walking through. I shared this with Mark last night. Uh, I think it was Mark. Mitch Crickenberger was walking the other way, and he said, hey, Rick, and I was thankful. I coached him in Little League. In fact, I was thinking today, there are three kids, one of has been my son, three kids I coached in Little League sports who are now preachers of the gospel. And so Mitch saw me, and uh, he said, hey, Rick, and so I was able to speak to him. He's a young man now, and I said, I was at the service when Jace, his son, who's a student at CVCS, during the outdoor revival last month, prayed to accept Christ. And I started to laugh. We were sitting at the checkout, and I said, Mitch, you're just like me. I said, I preached for 30 years. Not one of my children got saved when I preached. <laughs> Every one of them. New Life, Wilson, got saved at an Easter program. Chris might have been in that program. And I had preached and preached. He'd heard me preach. He got saved there. I invited uh, Al Miller here a number of years ago, over 20 years ago, to preach a revival. Whitney comes forward. I'd preached every week. Whitney came forward when he came for just a few days. John Mark, he got saved through the ministry here, not through. And, and I said, Mitch, it, now here's the deal. Mitch had preached the night before, and it was the night after he preached that Jace came forward. I said, Mitch, we're all in it together, man. <laughs> I don't question God. God's timing is right. God decided that my kids would get saved apart from my influence in the where I'm a preaching. I'm not saying the influence that I have. I, I've, I planted seeds. But God did it. You know, if we were God, we would say, boy, that, that person has preached a number of years. Let's have that encouragement come to him that he preaches and the child come forward. God said, you don't understand all my plans. 
God works in amazing ways. Well, he writes further in verse 5, predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself. We're going to look more at adoption next week, but uh, I have a niece who's adopted. She was just living in Guatemala in, in an orphanage. She didn't know. She was five years old. And my brother and sister-in-law said, I choose that one. I choose that one. That's a picture of God's love for us. But as we look at this subject of election, many times we can debate this subject. I choose to leave it to the sovereignty of God. But let's look at the purpose to be holy, verse 4, and blameless in love before him. He chose you to be holy and blameless in love. When an employer hires an employee, that employer says, I believe that person's going to make us better. And that's the intent of God choosing that we would be involved in his kingdom. I talked about Abraham. God called Abraham when Abraham didn't know him. He called him out to a new land to be a father of nations. Abraham didn't know all that. God did. And so God loves us and he's chosen us. You say, well, I don't understand all of this. Let me tell you, if you're listening to the word of God today and you've not trusted Christ, it's not coincidence that you're here. God wants you to hear that you're a sinner, that Jesus Christ died for your sin and rose from the grave, and that if you would believe in him, you would have eternal life. And that leads to the final uh, point of grace today, the instrumentation of God's grace. This wonderful grace, this marvelous grace, how do we attain it? It is through Jesus Christ. I read the story of a man in Philadelphia who in 1989 was uh, attending a yard sale or a rummage sale and he bought a picture for $4. He actually did not buy the picture for the portrait itself. He bought it because he was impressed with the frame. When he got home later that day, he began, since he wanted to get the frame, he was going to tear the picture off. And he noticed beneath the picture was a document that seemed aged. And so as he began to investigate it more, he asked a few questions over the next few days, and he found out it was one of the very early copies of the Declaration of Independence. And, and to make matters even better for him, because it had been covered from the light for so long, it was not in mint condition, but it was in very good condition. He found out that that $4 purchase was worth $2 million dollars. And, and within two years, he sold it. He sold it. That guy did not realize what he had in his possession. But Paul realized what he had in his possession. And he couldn't stop talking about it. Notice what he says in verse 6. To the praise of his glorious grace that he lavished on us, in the beloved one. In other words, Paul says, I have it, and I want you to know I know what I have. I know the value of the grace of God. Now, that portrait or that picture costs $4 to that individual. Do you want to know what the grace of God cost God? It cost you nothing, but it cost God everything. 
the very death of his son, Jesus Christ. How can you walk away from such a gracious God? He gave it to us in Christ. Not from what I've done, but for what Christ has done. We're going to see a common theme next week. You're going to see in him, in him, in him. What that hymn is pointing to, the antecedent to that is Jesus Christ. And it's a glorious grace that comes only through him. So really, I close today with two questions. Are you in Christ? Have you accepted the favor of God? There's nothing you can do to merit the favor of God, but let me tell you, there's a condition. The scripture says, repent and believe. You can't go your own way and go God's way. You have to say, God... I'm a sinner. I need the grace of God that, that I've read about here today. I know it comes through Jesus Christ. I believe in Jesus Christ. Would you today, if you've never done so, accept by faith and repentance the grace of God through Jesus Christ? Would you believe in him? But the question that's second today, if you've done that, are you living like a pauper? when you have access to all of the spiritual blessings of God's grace to you? Are you living beneath your means, Christian, as a follower of Christ? I think it helped Paul, and it also will help us to remind ourselves of how great and glorious and marvelous the grace of God through Jesus Christ is for us. God's glorious grace. Paul had experienced it. Are you experiencing it in your life? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this book that uh, is in the midst of your New Testament. And Father, we thank you that you loved us enough to give us your word, to allow us to hear preaching. Father, it tells us that you want us to choose you. But Lord, as we look at it within the context of this, Lord, you have already chosen that we hear your word today. And I pray in faith people would respond. Father, it's not the persuasiveness of a preacher, but it is the drawing of your Holy Spirit that will seal this truth in someone's heart. And I pray you would do it today. Lord, for others, I pray as we study the grace of God that not only will we go grow a greater appreciation for it, but we would realize that there's coming very soon in this study in chapter 4 a therefore, that we're to live in the spiritual blessings that you've given to us, that your grace is not in vain, but unto your glory as we're going to see we're created in Christ Jesus for good works. Father, we love you and thank you for your grace, and I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know how God